All right, and we are good to go. Bonnie Toy, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thanks, Brett. I'm great. I'm I messed up your last name. Tell me, tell me how to pronounce your last name. <laughs> that was good. Bonnie Toy. Toy. Okay. Okay. It's it's Chinese. I'm not good with Chinese pronunciation, but um, I I can appreciate the the beauty of your last name. It's a beautiful last name. Um, oh, I just can't pronounce it. <laughs> you, did great. you did great. So listen, tell me this. Uh, I met you the other day. You were sitting um, at, at a conference that I attended. You were sitting with Aaron Pearsall, a man that I love and respect greatly. And and uh, he introduced me to you. And, and I would remembered seeing you on another former podcast talking about a book you had written. Um, and, and the book is called Why We Swim. Actually, I have it here for those people that want to see it. This is the book here, Why We Swim. And, uh, and it is fascinating, right? Like, I think, I think any swimmer maybe has had these thoughts themselves of, of like why we swim. Um, what is, what does swimming mean to you? What's, what's your relationship with swimming? Yeah, sure. Um, I, you know, I grew up like so many kids, um, you know, as a, as a, as a club swimmer, you know, I grew up through age group swimming and but before that my parents um my my parents met in a swimming pool in hong kong you know and and my dad was a lifeguard and so we just grew up oh. going to the beach i grew up in new york and, and and we went to jones beach but we also swam you know we did pool swimming and i swam on a club team for 10 years and then when i got to college i was kind of tired of swimming and competitive swimming and um i just wanted to try other things so i rode crew and i played a little water polo. And then um, after college is when I kind of started trying to start swimming again in a way that um, was enjoyable. You know, I had always like, mm. I, like I said, you know, like so many people, I just was, I was like the, the most, you know, I'm like, the every, I just like to describe myself as the every person swimmer in that, you know, I didn't do anything too unusual, but I kept doing it. I kept trying to figure out different ways I could enjoy the water. And so I, started doing triathlons and then I and did some open water swimming and started surfing. And so it's just been this lifelong relationship with water and with swimming. And, um, and that's, that's sort of what I wanted to investigate um, with a, like a journalistic eye, you know, because I'm mm. a journalist and I, you know, I, I do a lot of magazine and newspaper work and, and I've written books um, as well. And, and the last one was why we swim in it. And it was this, inquiry into you know our curious human relationship with swimming and with the water right yeah it, it is curious and i think you, you can look at it from two different perspectives right like the people that listen to my podcast are avid swimmers like they yeah. they they love swimming they've, they've right. grown up swimming and everybody had some sort of um first you know impression of the water and and went on to be something in swimming generally the people that i speak to right so like right. i always go back to like what was that first moment for you like for me that's mm -hmm. really interesting and like i i was thinking of this myself as i was thinking about this podcast i wanted to do with you of like can i actually remember not maybe the first day i swam but like within kind of a, a range of time of like when's my first memories yeah swimming you have those oh yeah and i and i tried to and i did this exercise that you're describing exactly when i was mm. writing the book because i wanted to be able to put myself back there and think like what right. did that feel like and and right. and so many of those memories are at jones beach you know like um you know and actually i talked about this um at that conference you saw me at with aaron that we 
you know, we have these memories of being at the beach and and standing in the shallows. And when the wave comes, you kind of everyone goes, whoa, you know, like just yeah. that feeling of like being connected in the ocean and the ocean breathing, you know, in this way. And but also getting, you know, swimming around and then getting like knocked ass over tea kettle and then feeling afraid that you're going to drown because you yeah. can't do anything. In the right. So like it's all of the things like I feel like that moment of um being it's so much fun you're with your friends you're with your family you're swimming and then you you lose your sense of orientation in the water mm. and then you're scared right and 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 swimming is all about trying to like kind of navigate that space um because it's so it's so appealing right it's so much fun I remember those moments too. Yeah. Just, just as you speak about them, right? Like I grew up in Sydney, Australia. So we, we generally Australia is very coastal, right? Everyone grows up yeah. primarily on the coast of some sort around Australia. I grew up very close to the beaches, but we actually had a backyard pool. It mm -hmm. started off as an above ground pool. And then it went to, you know, once my, my parents could afford it, we actually put in a, a you know, a, a below ground pool kind of thing where, you know, we could run and jump straight into the pool kind of thing. But, uh, you know, initially it was this above ground pool. And I can remember the, those were my first memories of actually swimming and trying to get to the other side, like trying to right. grab onto the wall for survival, you know, like I've got to, I've got to get those five yards to grab that wall so I can actually breathe. Like, you know, those moments of, of having that fear, like you said, and not feeling in control, and, and now um, you and I are both in a place where we can actually just relax in the water. You know, mm -hmm. you get to a point where water is freedom, water is relaxation. Mm -hmm. but, but there's millions and millions of people who never get to that stage, do they? Like mm -hmm. the, there's people that, that don't have that contact with, with swimming and, and water and a pool. And, and they go throughout their whole life of being fearful of water too. Mm -hmm. Is that... Was that part of your exploration or was it more to do with the people that actually come in contact with water early? That's absolutely part of it. I mean, one of the things I really wanted to do with the book was not only to be talking to, you know, preaching to our choir, right, of, right. of swimmers and, and people who love it and know it and, and, and interact with it every day. Um, it was to also have something there for people who, because as I was researching this book, I just realized people had extremely strong reactions to swimming to the topic of swimming it was either oh i love it so much you know the way we just talked mm. about it have this relationship or it was this really um powerfully um fearful negative like oh i don't like i don't like it i don't like to be mm. near it and once you kind of start right. throwing at that unpacking it's like it's that they've had a bad experience that goes all the way back or maybe it was actually fairly recent like as as an adult and they mm. it's actually pretty traumatic you know and, and, oh, yeah. and so it made me realize that in writing this book that there was something that was so essential and like visceral and you can't really and it is a matter of life and death and that's why mm -hmm. like it kind of traces mm -hmm. back to that and so you always kind of go back to why we do swim first first and foremost is to survive and you know we're not we we don't we're not born learning how to no, we're not born knowing instinctively how to swim the way other right. Um, you know, terrestrial animals are, mammals are. And so um, it's really interesting that we've taught ourselves how to do it and keep passing on that information and ability and skill. And also it's what I realize is also the mythology we have around it, right? It's like we, 
you know, the stories about like mermaids and, you know, it's, it's all mm. very fanciful, but it's also like it, you know, we all kind of know all of these stories because it is a very attractive thing to be like, you know, half fish, you know, that to be able to be in that, um, in that element in this really um, comfortable way, because we know yeah. at some level that it is kind of alien to us. Yeah, I like the way you broke it up too into kind of like the, these five buckets or chapters, you know, like the, the survival up front, which is pr primal for, for all mm -hmm. of us as humans, like to survive in water and then kind of a well-being and then moving into community, competition and then flow. Um, I, like, I like that. Was there, was there anything that uh, you wanted to add in there that, that didn't make the cut, like was on the chopping block? Well, <laughs> this is funny. I um, I wanted to write about swimsuits. It just didn't uh, fit. <laughs> but yeah, I did yeah. this whole right. thing on like right. the evolution of swimsuits mm. uh, because I think it's hilarious that, you know, people used to wear just like full, well, actually I'll back it up and say women used to have to wear like full body wool. Wool, yeah. Socks mm. and mm. I mean, just everything. You couldn't reveal anything. And that the fact that you showed some knee was like a really big deal. And then, um, you know, as, and then now it's like scraps of, it's like whatever you, you, you know, you, whatever you, you just cover your minimally your bits yeah. get in the water. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've got to the point where it is very minimal. Yeah. They've yeah. gone the complete opposite way. Totally. Um, well, and then, but then of course you go to like, you know, with the, when Speedo introduced those suits that like, just everyone broke all those world records. Um, oh yeah, and then and it was like that instance was interesting. That moment of history was interesting because it was like um, these suits were actually made to increase your performance in a way that no other suits had been. Like I think mm -hmm. that was super interesting. Right. Um, you know, if you think about it, for especially for women um you know female competitors that you know you go through from this like wool heavy yeah <laughs> suit that, like actually weighs you down to something that actually has like channels builds into it and repels water and mm. all this stuff i just was <laughs> like that's a head that's a head twist right there you know like that yeah yeah, you take that suit back in time and show show the women, you know, 50 years ago and they're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I've actually uh I've got a I've got a podcast partner a friend of mine who he lives in england and he calls himself the swimsuit guy and actually an idea that we have as, as a future podcast is we are going to go through the history of the swimsuit because that's that's kind of his deal like he oh, great. he uh he reviews suits so primarily kind of within the last 20 years and, uh -huh. the, and the evolution the changes of of the racing suit you know but um yeah it's something that we're going to do which will be which will be pretty cool now you know, like I said, with these buckets or these channels that you, I mean, um, these chapters that you go through, you know, there's a, a combination of kind of history and, and journalism, a bit of a memoir in, in each as well. Um, mm -hmm. I like the way you, you've broken it up. You know, you obviously have, you have those hooks that, that kind of gets you into, you know, reading about um, certain aspects of, of whatever the chapter is. Right. And, um, you lead off with an interesting story up front. Tell, tell us about kind of the first story that you lead with. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, this is obviously one of my favorite stories in the book because I open with it, but it's a story right. that I, my husband actually first told me one night over dinner. It's about this um, Icelandic fisherman named Goodlegger Frid Thorsen, who, um, you know, back in 1984, he mm -hmm. um, 
he uh his boat capsized um, yeah i can still see you by the way i'm oh, sorry i was like <laughs> where'd he go <laughs> <laughs> i'm still here um did it did, it, did i ever get a wild look in my eyes <laughs> <laughs> no i just wanted to see you up close you're about to tell a really interesting story so let's get up yeah, close well, thanks. um <laughs> Um, he, you know, his boat capsized in, in the middle of winter in, in Iceland, um, and he was on a fishing vessel and, you know, everyone else very quickly drowned except him and the captain and they started swimming for shore. I mean, they're, you know, six kilometers from, from, he can see the, you know, the lighthouse from his island, his mm. home island. And, but, you know, it's like 41 degree water. Um, it's freezing, you know, I think it, like, air temperature was probably like in the twenties and, um, um, very quickly everyone perished except for him and he started swimming. Um, and so he swam for six hours, um, six kilometers, um, mm. and he was wearing like a sweater and, you know, like work pants. Um, and he comes ashore and he, uh, you know, makes it to the first the lights of the first house he sees and they take him immediately to the hospital. And, he has um, no signs of hypothermia. He oh. is a little bit dehydrated. Um, and it turns out, you know, his body temperature was like, his core temperature was able to be um, stable and consistent through this ordeal because his body fat was like two to three times normal human thickness um, mm. and more, um, like more solid. And he was like, they called him the human seal. I mean, it was like this biological quirk that he had where um, he was able to not only keep swimming because Iceland Icelanders are, you know, man, you know, swimming is mandatory. Swimming lessons are mandatory in elementary schools. And, um, you know, it's this country of islands. It's an archipelago and it's a, it's a country of, um, you know, lives lost at sea, right? Because it's a fishing yeah. country. And so he became this national hero and also... Um, you know, was this also this medical, um, you know, miracle, right? Like he was this, again, like we said, like there are Iceland, you know, mytho mythological creatures, like he was yeah. one of them, and, you know, in Icelandic myth, like there are swimmers and gods who can like swim from island to island. And he was one of those people who, to me, like his story is extraordinary, not only because he survived this, that his, he happened to have this biological quirk that could keep him warm enough to survive this cold water, um, but that um, he grew up in a place where swimming was really important, you know, culturally speaking and to society. Um, and he, and the reason that the boat capsized or the boat, everyone drowned so quickly is that the, the self-deploying life raft that was supposed to be installed in the boat wasn't um, yet installed. And so they couldn't deploy the life raft. And so everyone died because of that. And one of the things I think is the most you know, really poignant thing that he told me about that night was that, um, you know, everyone's before everyone drowned, they were holding onto the keel of the boat. And they said, you know, if anyone survives this, we have to tell them what happened. Mm. And he was like, you know, most of the time, nobody makes it back. Right. And he's like, I, this time someone did, and I had to tell, like I was there. And so I lived to tell it. And so he wow. was became this advocate for, um, getting these self-deploying life rafts be mandatory on all of the Icelandic fishing fleet. Oh, wow. That's very cool. Yeah. Love that. Had, had he had swimming training in his background at all? Yeah. So um, all sailors go to navigation school, right. they call it. And okay. so it's like, you know, he remembers doing all of these, um, you know, swimming uh, races and things. And actually after he, his accident, um, 
they started this swim annual swim every year that's called good look Sunday. it's been going on every year since then and mm. it's good lookers swim and so it started out the navigation school because the um the navigation uh you know the headmaster was like we're swimming in honor of these lives lost and we're also swimming um to commemorate what you did you know what you were you were able to do and so it's something that i actually swam in that race i swam oh, wow. that yeah and um you swim six kilometers basically and so everyone comes to do it in town and it's a really beautiful thing wow i love it uh, I, I might have to get out there myself and try that one <laughs> that yeah pretty I cool you, i think you'd like it <laughs> We individualize training in the pool, so why not individualize your nutrition? Erica Biney of Biney Wellness Building will help you and your swimmers get exactly what each athlete needs through genetic testing and personalized nutrition plans. So stop guessing what you should and shouldn't be putting into your body. Athletes within a few weeks have noticed they're recovering faster because they're fueling their body with what they need and staying away from what their body hates. Erica understands swimming. She gets it. She's worked with over 20 Olympians, including the fastest man in the world, Caleb Dressel. Group discounts are available. So go to Biney Wellness Building and get in touch with Erica today. That's Biney, B-E-I-N-E, wellnessbuilding.net. Swim Angelfish. Swim Angelfish is an online certification program that strengthens your teaching curriculum to serve swimmers of all abilities. Swim Angelfish will prepare you and your instructors with the skills to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions, and more. Learn to teach skills faster and with more comfort with Swim Angelfish. Apply for an only alpha pool product scholarship and receive up to 50% off your certification. Go to swimangelfish.com today to apply. The interesting thing for me was like actually at the at the back of the book, right? Like the end, you talk about the release of the book. Like you've written this incredible, you know, piece on why we swim, and then at the very end, you talk about the release coming at a time where pools were shut down, like right, yeah. you know, right at the start of the pandemic, right? So, like for me, that was such an interesting period of time too. Is like. I just took swimming for granted. Like it was just, you could do it anywhere, uh, any place, anytime, you know, generally as, as an, an Olympic swimmer, you know, I, I tend to lean heavily towards the pools and, mm -hmm. and, and those sorts of situations. And then all of a sudden every single pool in the world is shut down. And right. um, it was almost like, you know, we, we had to get like these security passes and we had to take tests and we had to, we had to do all these, you know, things was almost like getting into prison to try and go out and have a swim, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it, it was crazy. Uh, but that's funny that the, the release came out about the same time and then these pools shut down and then mm -hmm. we're all questioning like, Oh, why do we actually swim? And, and what, 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 what's the meaning of it in our lives? Like I felt like something was completely stripped away from me. Yeah. something that was very, very meaningful in my life. You know, I, de I definitely think, I mean, of course I was <laughs> for anyone who, had a book come out in the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, this was like the second month of lockdown. Like this was April, 2020. I just remember all of us were like, what do we do? We have no idea what's going on. I mean, again, you know, like it's, everything was like that, but especially. Um, Isn't that good though? Wouldn't it mean more people are reading? Yes, but we could not have anticipated that. <laughs> I think it was just felt like the world was ending and there was so much uncertainty. And then 
on the one hand, yeah, nothing matters anymore. And on the other hand, uh, you've spent so many years of your life thinking about something and, 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 you know, you finally bring it out into the world. It really feels like so tender. So I was really fascinated by how, um, what ended up happening was that of course, most people couldn't swim and they were forced to think about how much they missed it. Mm, right. Like you said, and, exactly, and, yeah. and what it felt like to not be able to do it mm. um, for this, you know, who knows how long. And, um, and I think it made people look, you know, kind of examine their relationship. And, and, and the thing is, I wasn't examining my relationship with the water or swimming very, um, uh, in a very focused or close way until I was writing this book. Like I was asking myself all of these questions um, in the process of writing this book. And so found out all of these things. Um, and then now suddenly everyone else was doing that too. It was mm, yeah. really interesting. Um, and so I've had the most, you know, you can imagine just the most amazing letters and, and, and people will write to me and, and tell me about their whole relationship with the water and how much either they missed it. If it was like deep, you know, early pandemic, or once they finally were able to swim again, how, how, how much they felt returned to themselves, which I found. Yeah. So that was really moving, actually. It's really beautiful to, to see that and hear people and read people's thoughts about that, you know? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I always tell people that swimming, without a doubt, changed my life, right? Like swimming not only, you know, um, got me a scholarship at university mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I, I traveled around the world. I can't even count how many times swimming took me around the world, right? And the competitions right. and the people I met and the places I swam and the, the, you know, I've met the Pope. I met the Pope through <laughs> swimming. You know what I mean? Like I shook the Pope's hand and that was because of swimming. Like it's just, it's That's crazy. Cool. So like swimming has done incredible things in my life. And I always tell people that of like, I, I would do these camps and clinics for young kids. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, I, I don't know where you're going to go with this, but I can tell you that it's going to be, a major factor in your life for the rest of your life because no matter where you go if you dive into an ocean a lake a pool a river wherever it is you will know how to swim and you'll feel comfortable in that environment yeah. you know relatively speaking right mm -hmm. um and and that's a skill that will last for the rest of your life and and it's something that um nobody will ever be able to take that away from you you know Right. Yeah. And you get to see those places in a particular way, right? Like that not everyone can. Mm -hmm. Actually, I um, I wanted to tell you that I studied at Sydney Uni for a semester. Oh, you did? Uh, in oh. college. Yeah. And I loved it. And one of the things that really struck me about it was um, just how, you know, Australians have such this wonderful relationship with the water. I was going to say, there's not a lot of Australia in here. Like, come on. It's it's yeah, the Aussies are going to be very offended. <laughs> we talk about, you know, a manly beach. Anyway. You, talk, um, you, you, did, you mentioned Kate Campbell. I saw her name in there. Um, uh, I, uh, no, I remember, I mean, the, to be honest, like one of the main reasons I wanted to study in Australia was so that I could go dive the Great Barrier Reef. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I just thought, God, that is, you know, and I hadn't traveled very much, you know. Right. At that point. And I just thought like, that's something that I would like, it's like bucket list life 
thing that I, because I always loved the water and I thought, well, if, if I was spinning the globe and was choosing a place to study abroad, like where would I go? And, um, you know, I was studying literature and I thought, okay, I'm going to do this thing on course on Australian literature, but mm. really I was spending a lot of time in the water. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, like Sydney uni is like real, real central. I mean, you can get to so many beautiful spots yeah. from, from there. Yeah, what, uh, let me ask you this. What year were you there? Um, I was there 98, the, okay. like February to July. Oh, okay. August of 98. 98. Okay. Just before me, because I actually went back and I swam at Sydney university. That's where I swam at, um, professionally. Yeah. So I left college in 99 and went back and swam at Sydney uni from, from, I believe about uh, April, 1999 is when I got uh -huh. there. Yeah. So I, I swam there for five years. Wow. Yeah. That yeah. seems like a, a, I mean, I just, I think that that city is so tremendous. I, I yeah. would love to go back. Yeah, and they, I mean, they love swimming there. Like, swimming is just part of the culture. Like, you yeah. you have, everybody learns to swim. Everybody has mm -hmm. to swim. And swimming is just part of what, what people do there, you know. You're just surrounded by water. So there's no, you know, but actually the funny thing is, is, you know, I used to be a lifeguard on the beach. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you'd have foreigners come in and they'd be so excited about their first kind of beach experience and uh -huh. they would jump into the ocean and immediately get swept off, in, <laughs> in, you know, in a rip and you'd have to go in and save them. And I mean, I can't even tell you how many times. I was just going to ask you, how many times a week did that happen? I mean, all the time. Like people, it was so surprising to me. Yeah. It was like, I mean, it looked dangerous. I'm like, and they're all like so happy and excited and they jump in and just get swept straight away. And it's like, you're out there saving people. And then, and then there's those horrible times where a family comes down and, and, uh, and they don't all leave together, you know, like it's, they have a very traumatic experience. So, um, have you ever had a, a moment where you've been close to drowning or, or you know what I mean? Like that experience of like mm -hmm. feeling that? Um, you know, I've thought about this a lot and, you know, I think there've been times where I wasn't actually, but you know, it, to be honest, like when it's in your head, yeah. you could, you might as well be right. Like in, in terms of like what, no matter what the outcome is like you do feel like you're in if you're in danger it's pretty it's scary and you can see where it goes wrong right like yeah. I, I i was when you were telling that story about watching these families um you know come together and then not leave together and and, mm. and you can it's like those we've all seen the possibilities of when mm. those situations are right like as a you know i've i've lifeguarded I was a lifeguard for many years when I was a teenager and, you know, into college. And I just remember seeing all of the times, but also as a swimmer, you know, I think mostly to, for me that those moments of fear have been in the ocean. I mean, I don't remember. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. Maybe, a, you know, even rivers, um, you know, currents. I mean, currents are the thing that are, I think that takes you away from where you expect to be. And I think that's when people panic, right? They don't, and they start get, tying themselves out. They start fighting it. And in fact, that's the worst thing you could do is mm. like fighting the current and then panicking. And so I think I have felt that. I don't know that I've reacted in a way that would, you know, put me into 
worst danger because because but mostly it's because I know right I know what to do I know what to expect and and I think when people ask me oh I really want to swim open water um but I'm scared how do I become less scared and I just and I was like you know what there's like three things like find a buddy who knows the place where you want to swim um you know kind of have them you know learn all of the hazards like learn about all of the things you need to watch out for and what your exit strategies are and then the third thing is just like take it slow like you know swim five ten minutes the first time then maybe 10 15 and then 15 20 you know and then before you know it you that's your spot you know that's pretty cool i think that when that happens to see that evolution from someone who was really fearful you know like it comes full circle we're talking about the people who don't get to do it because they're scared and don't do it and don't try to do it and then the people who really do i do really think it's a leap of faith to do that and are brave enough to go after it um you know they're the ones who you see them a year later and they're like my life is different my mm-hmm. life is different because of that yeah yeah i grew i grew up with asthma you know and one of my greatest fears was the the fear of not being able to breathe, right? Like I, I walked around with this fear for many years, um, all, all the way up to about the age of 11, you know, from the moment I was born to 11, I had a great fear of, of being so far away from some sort of control, whether that be kind of like a, um, an inhaler or my parents mm-hmm. or somebody that could, that could rescue me. Right. I had a fear of like leaving that space. Right. And so mm-hmm. I was always consumed by that. And I can imagine um, for people that can't swim, that, that feeling of fear is kind of like that, right? Like you're, you're in a boat or you're on the shore or wherever you are. And it's like, you're, you're seeing this danger zone of like, I can't go near that. Like I've seen people that are so fearful of water Mm -hmm. that they, they do go into a panic, right? And it must be a horrible way to live. And so my, my message to everybody is like, yeah, find a way that you can Mm -hmm. overcome that fear and get comfortable from from being around water you know i think that's a great analogy what you just described that um with asthma because it is about you know you're scared of your you're not being able to breathe and you're scared mm-hmm. that you're you're you know um i you know my son my younger son actually has asthma and, and thankfully he's mm-hmm. mostly outgrown it mm-hmm. but he you know it was really scary in the days when he would just yeah it was a struggle and you could yeah. see that happening and yeah. and that's the cycle of like when you that starts that um it it's a feedback loop on your body, right? That makes yep. you start panicking, and that's what happens in the water when you start being scared. Yeah, you start hyperventilating, and then right. you could swallow water and all that. But um, I think it is really such a gift to give to yourself to um, to learn how to handle that, and 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 the fact that you can do it. Like there are ways to do it, and and they work is um i think is you know i think is the message that i always want to send to people is like even and and i have been like i'm so gratified by getting the notes from people who um you know i started swimming lessons or i i now i do this and now I'm after i read the book yeah yeah mm. and i just think mm. like that is that's that nice to me is the gift that keeps on giving to yeah. you over and over yeah 
For sure. Well, there's a there's a, a part or a, a chapter in the book that really um, I love the most uh, because you you talk about the fifty freestyle and that was <laughs> that was my event, right? And so I'm so glad that you dedicated a whole. Um, part of the book to the 50 freestyle, which is the greatest event on earth. I tell people that all the time, but <laughs> it's also, it, it, it takes me back to that, that, um, you know, this whole thing that we're talking about here mm -hmm. of, of control and relaxation, right? Like I went from a kid that was afraid to walk down the street away from his parents or whatever, the fear of losing my breath. And then I'm, you know, 20 years later competing at the Olympic games in the Olympic final against the, the best swimmers on earth, the fastest swimmers on earth. And my last breath that I take is when they say, take your marks, you know, amazing. and, and I hold my breath the entire race. I didn't, I didn't take a breath, you know, and I trained myself to do that. So from a kid that goes from that to competing at the highest level and my whole competition is done without breathing, you mm -hmm. know, like to me, it blows my mind. I'm like, Oh, I actually, actually competed the whole time that I did that without a breath, you know, like I think of a, of an NFL football player who plays for like four hours for the game and they come in and out and they take water breaks and all this right. stuff. And that's, that's their competition. Mine was like, I'd actually competed without breathing. So yeah, um, you're like, check me out. I do my whole race without breathing. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I feel like I have watched that. It's so cool to hear you talk about that because I have always thought watching that event mm. in the Olympics you know, I just like real like I'm I'm watching. I'm like, who's who? No one's breathing. Does anyone yeah. do it? You know, pretty and, much um, not. Yeah, it's so it's so cool. It's really cool, um, and uh, and it's so really neat. I have to say, it's a real trip to hear you talk about it from your own perspective um, because it's like I knew I was going to talk to you. Yeah, <laughs> I wrote that. <laughs> exactly. That's right. That's why I'm here, you know, but you, you do kind of hone in on, on Dara Torres, who's a, an American hero, who's one of the legends, right? Like who, right. who just um, went to multiple Olympics, got multiple medals and uh, retired, why, why did, and retired like a million times. I mean, that's, yeah, exactly. Why, why did you choose her as kind of a focal point? Because she, you know, I wanted to know what, what was the thing that would motivate someone like her who, you know, succeeded like above and beyond, right? Anyone's mm. dreams, like as a, as a, you know, elite swimmer, um, went to multiple Olympics, won multiple medals, um, was like, okay, I'm done. You know, like she said that when she was like 25 or something and had, I think, unretired for the first time and, 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 went to the Olympics again, all the, all the kids on the team called her granny, you know, she's like 25. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and then she did it again. I think she, it was like three times. And so at her last Olympics, and that's the one that I really spotlight in the book that she's in the final for the 50 free and she's 41. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's I know. unreal. Yeah. And it was totally she, unreal. Um, you know, was like seated first, like with yeah. some prelims. Like that's nuts. And, and actually, I think she just got beat by like a hundredth of a second or something, didn't yes, she? Yes, it was like a fingernail or whatever. And so yeah. she was like, um, she talked, I, I think I wanted to hear from her perspective, not only, you know, what that race is like, because it was like such a high drama quintessential, like you, yeah. want, that's the race you want to see, to not just from that perspective, but also like, everything that came before, like the, the motivating her to 
to do this again and again and again to come back after having a kid and say, um, you know, there's something still I want to do. All oh, right, right. So that and, was her. That was her kind of answering why she swims. Yeah, right. and um, you know, again, because like competition in swimming is not a thing that I um, really understand anymore. Not since I was a kid. And yeah. you know, I wanted to know from someone like her. I mean, really, there's no one like her. Um, but just to hear, you know, how does she think about competition? Like, what makes her do all of these things to get back to a place like again, like. Uh, retiring and unretiring three times you know going to all of these olympics um to to get back right at the top and what and, you know and she just was like i love i love being able to compete against the best of the best in the world yeah right and then one of the funniest things was like one time i was talking to her on the phone and she's driving and she says she, that she's the person who like can't let anyone get ahead of her on the road <laughs> <laughs> like beat her out of the red light or whatever and i'm like oh god please don't be talking to me on the phone <laughs> she's like hang on a sec yeah um, i'm like i'm the one who's gonna have overheard dara torres's car accident like I really yeah i don't know if that's i don't know if that's something that would have translated without swimming because like as you swim and as you start to compete you become hungry and hungrier for that competition right, right? like you learn to love the competition you learn to throw you know desire it right and so then was that then um you know an outcome of her swimming career now is that she can't relinquish that yeah, aspect right, of her right, life right. You know? well um, that actually that's a great question um but she said that when she was little with her siblings she was always like that actually. okay right yeah, yeah so i think yeah. in her case that was pretty intrinsic from the start yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think i've actually interviewed a lot of um you know really high level swimmers too on this podcast she's actually been on my podcast and, and oh, really? a lot of them yeah a lot of them have said the same thing of like hey i was competitive with my brothers and sisters and yeah um yeah. i can actually remember uh one of my experiences where i almost drowned was was playing in the pool with my my siblings and we would play this game where there was a certain point of wherever the pool was there was the the home base you know we used to call it the home base and yeah, so we yeah. have these have these competitions where if you got to the home base you were safe right so that was like the safe zone and so we would we would you know scratch and claw and try and kill each other to either get to the home base or prevent someone else from getting there kind of thing and i distinctly remember my brother you know holding me down underwater so that i couldn't get to the home yeah. base and and him just holding a little too long you know what i mean and me and me being like okay I'm going to die right my brother's <laughs> going to kill me in the pool I'm going to die this is going to be a tragic disaster you know that panic sets in of yep, like oh yep. god I've got to breathe right it's now so you funny know? I mean it's such a I know exactly every time we talk about this like it's it's so vivid in my mind like I mm. picture or feel that and it's almost like I'm examining it from a distance too at the same time I'm inhabiting it like it's I don't know because I, I think it's it's a it's a really I think you have to learn how to do that to like get through a set hold down like in right, yeah you know mm -hmm. I practice yeah. all of these things because I want to you know be calm if I'm underwater longer than I think I would like to be you yeah know? yeah so but the yeah. other thing now is like i can go to almost any ocean in the world under any conditions really you know the only time i felt a little out of control is when i went to hawaii recently 
and I could feel the reef on, on my feet and, yeah. and I could see the 10 foot swell above me and, and I'm doing the math and I'm like, this is not a good situation to be in. Right. right. Like that was right. one of those times where I, where I felt fearful, but generally when I'm in water, I'm, I'm completely relaxed now. And it, and it could be a five year stint. Like I, I might not even touch water for five years and then, and then jump in and feel completely at ease now. Wow. Do you, no. um, what was I going to ask you? Um, do you feel competitive now when you're in the water in any way? Yes, which is why I stay out of the water. You know, <laughs> um, I really do. You know, like when I'm in the water, something ignites again, something clicks, mm -hmm. and I get very, very competitive. Um, you know, when I was, I was a male sprinter. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a very, you know, the, the, there's a, there's a type of person that you have mm -hmm. to be to be that person, and um, so you know we would we would go back and forward with each other it's almost like a receiver in the nfl they're always chirping they're always talking and so when i'm back in a, a situation like that it's very hard for me to relax i'm back into this yeah. competitive mode so mm -hmm. definitely definitely try and stay out of those situations as much as possible and people will always try and pull me in like brett come in come in i'm like no <laughs> you don't want me in there. Like, just let me stay out. You guys, you guys, it was actually a hard transition to go from a swimmer to a coach because yeah. I always wanted to get in and, and, and interact and, uh, mm -hmm. and show the guys, all right, look, you should do it this way or this is the way, you know, or whatever it is. So yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult transition when you go from competitive swimming to, to coaching as well. Well, this was something that Aaron and I talked about a lot. Um, and when you, and this made me think, of this because you were describing being in Hawaii recently mm. in the ocean. Um, but when you're swimming out there or surfing, or I'm assuming you were surfing, mm -hmm. um, you don't feel that way out there. That's a different, do you hold that in a different category? Because I'm, uh, we've been trying to kind of parse out, you know, open water swimmers versus pool swimmers. And oftentimes they've been so, um, you know, segregated, but now there's much more overlap um, in, in, at least in the, here, you know, in, in the States, I feel like more pool swimmers have become um, introduced in the pandemic to different ways of swimming. And, and, and I mean, I have so many friends from my master's team who never, never wanted to go swimming in San Francisco Bay, never had any desire to do that. Yeah. And now they love it. They cannot get enough of it. And really gone back to the pool. It's just something I think that opened their eyes in a different way. And I, and I was, I'm just curious, like how you hold it in your head because you're a person who has grown up in both of these worlds. Yeah. I mean, for me, um, I, I, I look at any type of activity like that, that, that I'm, good at and i'm comfortable at of like i like people to watch me you know like it's just, <laughs> i don't know it's, it's it's part of um who i am as well so like if i'm in the ocean and i'm catching waves like i want that wave to be better than the the people that i'm catching with you know so i'm like watch me do this you know so okay. like there's always that element of uh i'm never just i'm never just doing something for the pleasure of it you know what i mean so that's unfortunate but um <laughs> But if I am, I, I, I try and be alone in that period of time. I was just no, going to say, you need yeah. to go out like when it's dark or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just be alone. No one's there watching. You can just enjoy the experience. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I, listen, I've had so many different wild experiences growing up in Australia. 
you know, like I've had situations where I've been out in the ocean on, on a board and, and sharks have swum underneath me, you know, mm. and like um, that, that kind of experience. And, and, and then I've had other times where the lifeguards have sounded the alarm and they've said, look, there's sharks in the ocean. And we're like, well, we don't care. We just keep surfing, you know? Mm. So like there's that as well. So like growing up in Australia is, it's very interesting. The experiences you have with water and, the places that you can swim and and the type of interactions that you have with nature as well you know vasa has been the go-to training tool outside of the pool for over 30 years vasa's products are ideal for developing power and proper technique in your swimmers catch add a few vasa trainers to your pool deck and it's like adding an extra lane to your swimming pool go to vasatrainer.com use code bread at checkout and get 10 percent off anything from vasa Destro Swim Towers. Gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, -T, at checkout. Destromachines.com. I, I love I love water, right? Like, I, I'm, I'm like you. I just, I feel very, very comfortable in it. I love it. I love reading about it. I love that you wrote a book about it. You know, it's, um, it's very unique. And I love the different aspects of it. I love the historical aspects of it as well. You talk about actually something that was really interesting to me was the samurai. I didn't realize, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I would not have um, equated kind of swimming with samurai. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, that was, um, uh, that's funny because that comes at the end of the section of the book, of the book on great pool competition, right? So competition. Yeah. what, what did, um, but I wanted to kind of explore where that feeling would have come from. And, you know, you think about sports coming from like, um, or a lot of, for example, martial arts becoming practices that are um, not about wartime, like, like skills that are, you know, things that you, that once mm. were about battle. And now like those desires are to win or to, succeed in you know particular physical way or like mm. in the, like competition and sport so i started to think about that and i was like well what are other ways to think about swimming and um other than like you know competition is so uh, so much for us when we think about swimming it is about the olympics it is about this you know that's why i chose like the 50 you know 50 meter freeze right. i was like it's pure adrenaline getting you from point a to point b as fast as possible right and yeah. it's like the you know the 100 meter dash right like in in track and field and so i was so interested to find out about samurai swimming which in japan it's this it's a basically the japanese swimming martial art right and it's mm. like you think about um all of these and it started because back in the feudal feudal period in japan all of the different schools of um the different samurai clans had different places in around japan to protect against like coastal threats like on the ocean or maybe a right. river or a lake or something like they protected a parcel of land so they had to figure out different techniques to um hold themselves in the water and also be able to defend the land that was adjacent to the water so if you think about like there were certain strokes that were good for like cutting through the waves um you know in the shore break or that if it was like super glassy lake that they could um tread water really still and not create ripples or that they could like um oh. themselves out of the water into a boat 
I mean, there's a there's a move called the flying mullet. I swear to God, you need to look this up on YouTube. Hang on a sec. The flying mullet. I want to own a master this move. <laughs> the, if you can do this right, you can be in, in water and there's like a, imagine like a rowboat or something. You can launch yourself. <laughs> really? Uh, into the, yeah. It's wow. insane. I got to put that on my Instagram. <laughs> I want to do the flying mullet and put it on my Instagram. <laughs> I would like, yeah, please master this. I'll send you a video. And yeah, then, do it. Well, it'll be very popular. Very popular. That's um, awesome. I love but it. But that these running that down. You can practice um, now, uh, much like you know judo or kendo. Like there are different mm. levels of um, nihon eho. It's, it's like Japanese classical swimming, and you can you know different formations of treading water or swimming. And a lot of the um, like, for example, um, in synchronized swimming, like that egg beater technique you know that you right. see on the water was described in these samurai swimming texts from like hundreds of years ago oh wow yeah it's amazing and and to see these competitions these days where modern day practitioners of the sport you know they um they'll wear like 30 pounds of armor and then swim across the pool um, oh wow <laughs> silently you know very still um, treading water and it's really it's it's about um, now it's about grace and beauty and efficiency and like a lot of martial arts are right and it's not about killing someone in battle but there are the the practice of the movements teaches you something about you know the philosophy of a whole person you know and I mm. think that that's really cool that's interesting actually I hadn't um, seen that aspect of of um you know, training for, cause I'm really into UFC. Uh, my, oh, my back, yeah. My background here is swimming related, uh -huh. but like the full, everything else around me is all UFC. Like you can't see it, but I've got like UFC wow. stuff everywhere. And so, um, I'm, I'm a UFC nut, but it's interesting. Uh, I was, I was just talking to one of the, the best coaches in the world in UFC and um, that podcast will, will come out soon actually. And we, you know, that's an aspect of training. I don't think they're really, um, you know, explored too much. So that, that might be an interesting thing to, to dig into that. How did you even hear about that? Like within your research, like what, what are you doing to research a book like this? And then like, do you, do you have an idea, like here's something, or does this, does this open up once you start your research? Is that how it goes? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's that, I think it's that I start kind of collecting material Right. over time and and this book was something that i was not sure i wanted to do for a while like i knew oh. i was you know someone said you should write a book about swimming and i said okay but what about swimming <laughs> you know like yeah. what can yeah. I? and so it really was a few years of collecting stories or anecdotes like on the back burner and doing mm. my regular journalism that i thought oh maybe i have enough of something here like a germ of something and mm. so i would yeah, I would like dive down rabbit holes um, right, right. and come up with, you know, five interesting things. But it was, a, you know, it's, it's, it was like over time, like refining and refining and having it come together in a way that, you know, I really am happy with how the book came out. But it did take some time to figure out that that's the way it should be, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you, you uh, mentioned to me earlier that your next book that, that you're doing research on now and, and starting to produce is a book on, um, you know, human body and muscles and, and those sorts of things. And, and 
it leads me to many conversations that I've had about some of the world's best swimmers, right? Like, like a guy like Michael Phelps, people can't understand what made him so great. And one of the things that I always come back to is the fact that he's very aquatic in the water. It's almost mm -hmm. like his body was built for the water, right? Yeah. Like when you see the way he moves, the way he holds water, his body shape in terms of like long torso and big hands and things like that. Like it's right. this man was built to swim, you know? And so like, it was, was that any part of your research as well in terms of like people that are just born to swim? Yeah, I was really curious about that too, right? And 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 that question broadens out to athletes more generally, like what makes particular bodies seem to be more right. um, suitable, right, for various sports. I find that super fascinating. And yeah, I, um, do too. I, you know, I asked Kim Chambers, I mean, just about like cold water too. Like you would see, I, when I started doing that, um, doing a lot of cold water swimming in San Francisco Bay, I was just sort of like, wow, these people don't seem to be, I mean, you would see varying, wide varying, widely varying body types. And right. um, all of them seem to be pretty like comfortable in the water. And I was just really curious, like, you know, were there certain body types that seemed to do better in cold water? Because you would see someone who was like, like reasonably like thin, mm -hmm. not at all shivering. And then, you know, you would see like someone who's like a bigger, stouter person. You're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But, but really it doesn't. Um, I mean, I kind of wanted to like, that was like, that seems too simplistic. What is it actually right. that, you know, mm. you adapt to be. And so then we started talking about brown fat. Right. And then I went through this whole, you know, um, uh, rabbit hole about brown fat. And it was like, you really can adapt. So cold water, expo cold exposure and exercise boost the amount of it, like quote unquote browns your fat, which makes means that mm. it becomes a certain kind of fat that um, produces heat energy and is not just storing like white fat, like we all know, is like storing energy for like at the end times, you know, <laughs> like when your body needs it for later. Oh, wow. And so, so I hadn't heard this before. So yes. is this like an internal heat, like something that yeah. goes inward? So um humans well this is actually a fairly recent um discovery because they were not sure that humans um had brown fat in the same way that other animals did so like with uh -huh. babies are born with lots of brown fat because they don't they're not they don't have enough muscle to shiver when they're cold to generate heat and uh -huh. so they've got brown fat like around you know the organs and the back of their neck and stuff um it's like a scarf around their neck and as they get older as humans age, they lose this natural brown fat that they're born with. And, um, but what can happen is that you can get more brown fat by producing what's known as beige fat, which is the browning of your white fat. So you have like white fat, you know, everyone knows what white fat is. It's the, it's the fat that stores energy for later when you need it. And cold exposure, exercise, um, they've also found out that like chili, like, like chili peppers hot like, like spicy, food. spicy oh. food can also increase your brown fat oh wow okay this is really fascinating stuff anyway so um you can you know you can really do like swimming in cold water every day let's say you did that is is a practice that could in theory and probably doesn't practice in, it, like increase the brown fat in your body 
And you've noticed, you know, you're mm-hmm. swimming in cold water every day. You, your tolerance for it builds, you know, pretty quickly. Well, yes and no. Like I, I grew up in cold water and I hate it to this day. So I don't know if my tolerance ever improved that much, but uh, maybe, maybe the brown fat for sure. Like I, I've always had this theory, like I, I don't sweat much, but I've, I've got this internal heat and I grew up the majority of my life, we swam in freezing cold water in Australia. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for like 10 years, I, I was in an outdoor uh, unheated pool. Uh, and most people would think, oh, Australia is really warm. It gets really cold in the winter. And yeah. so we would freeze all the time. And so I never understood why my body was so hot all the time, but I didn't sweat. And so I don't know, maybe I've got a lot of brown I fat. I think you might have a lot of brown fat. That I mean, I got, I got fat. I know that. I don't know if it's brown <laughs> or what it is, but it's, it's definitely... <laughs> It's definitely hard to get rid of as you get older. I know that, but um, <laughs> there's that. Well, listen, this has been fascinating, and and the book is fascinating. And and where can people get this one? Anywhere books are sold, Brett. Anywhere books are perfect. Sold. So let's get on it. Let's let's get let's get thousands of these books out there sold around the world. Come on, everybody. And this is a, a really fascinating read. A lot of super interesting stuff. Great stories. Um, some some personal stuff in there. What what did you put in there that that you maybe you able to share just quickly, personally uh, from yourself? You know, um, I think one of the lovely things about writing this book was observing my kids. Right. Um, I think when I was writing the book, they or when I finished writing the book, they were probably like five and eight, maybe, mm, um, yeah. and just that. Um, you know, watching them grow, go through this phase of like learning to swim right. when I was remembering those days that you and I were talking yeah. about, where like, what were mm. those memories like? And to see from the perspective of a parent that, oh, this is the fear part. This is the, yeah. also, also the wishing and wanting for them to have this ability to carry them through their lives. And, and I'm happy to report that, you know, I'm actually, I w- when I get off the, the, the phone with you i'm going to pick them up from school and take them to some practice <laughs> so, oh there we go look at that see so skills yeah, skills for life good. but but it is fun to watch them at that period of time where they do but they do feel a little out of control and they don't have yeah. like full awareness yet like that's that's a cool stage i can remember my kids going through too of like yeah i can't you know you want to rush the process but at the same time you realize how important that part of it is too you know mm-hmm. i'm really trying my best I'm, I'm i'm an impatient person by nature and i'm trying my best to like really notice just every day the things that are going on with them and i think that that's yeah. a a good practice to have yeah well bonnie i appreciate it thanks for your time it's been a, a cool conversation um thanks a lot this is, this is different for me you know i'm usually talking like super high performance and here we are going back to kind of when we all had our first experiences in the pool and, and, and different things like that. So uh, like I said, uh, fascinating read. I love it. I hope a lot of people get it and, um, and give you feedback on it because look, feedback's always cool too. I love, I love when people send me a little message about a podcast and say that that podcast changed the way I think or what I do and actions I take and things like that. So I hope this one does the same thing for other people too. Okay. Appreciate it, Bonnie. All right. Take care. Thank you. Event heat lane name of swimmer times and places it's called swim nerd live and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart tv phone or other device 
There are so many things you can do with this software. A very simple and easy to use necessity for any team or facility that is live streaming their meets results. One click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time. Go to swimpractice.com to learn more.